Now we get to know how sneeze sounds in <laughs> our podcast. Hey everyone, this is Antonia Bastian. I'm here with Max Steiner. Hello. And we um, are excited to welcome you to the Matthew Bible Study Podcast. Every time um, that we teach, we always think, gosh, there's so many things that we wish we could have added. And so we're excited to take this time um, each week to talk about a few questions. And so we'll do three questions every time, and they are, what affected us personally? So we want to be able to share what's been affecting us personally in the text. And before we dive into our next question, uh, which is, what do we hope impacted our community this week? And so it's really exciting that we get to have men and women Bible study and yeah. we always say that we want to walk away with a first-hand knowledge of the text that leads to transformation and so we'll just spend a little bit of time exploring what we hope some of that transformation was and then last but not least we will talk about what we had to cut and so mm. this is where we will talk about things that we wish we could have explored more um, and so yeah glad you're here and we're excited to talk Boom. Yeah. Okay. So Max, um, first question, what affected you personally? Matthew one, one through 18. Totally. This week? Yeah. This, so my personal effect was not in Matthew one, one through 18. Well, I'm there sorry. You go. So it's I've right. already broken the rules <laughs> of our podcast. This will happen. No. Uh, mine was just in prepping. There's a book I'll probably reference a thousand times while we do this called Reading the Gospels Wisely mm-hmm. by Jonathan Pennington. Who's that? Hard plug. He's a professor at Southern of New Testament. He's a scholar in the Gospels, special emphasis on Matthew, and he will be coming to a forum that we're hosting whoop, whoop. digitally. Digitally. So will he be coming? He'll be remotely attending yeah. the forum. And uh, that will be on October 24th mm-hmm. with Jen Wilkin. Yes. And they will be talking about their favorite parts of the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. which we are super excited for. Yes. So shameless plug for that. But as I was reading his book, Reading the Gospels Wisely, he has a great principle that he discusses around the author as eyewitness mm. and how an eyewitness is the only person who's really equipped to help us make sense of how important any one event was. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I was really challenged by was thinking about how often in my own Bible reading, I just kind of adopt a posture of prayer where I say, Holy Spirit, Mm. will you call out whatever you want me to pay attention to? Mm -hmm. I think that's good. I think the Holy Spirit should be part of our Bible reading. But I wonder how often I don't pay attention to what the author is asking me to pay attention to based on how he has written the text, you know? Mm -hmm. And so as I was thinking in Matthew, like, am I allowing him to have my expectations reshaped around the number 14 mm-hmm. or around these genealogical patterns? Mm-hmm. Or am I just looking for somewhere that's like, oh, wow, that was interesting. I'll mm-hmm. underline it. So that was the biggest takeaway for my own personal Bible reading. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Max. I think for me, it was something similar, uh, just being really sobered by what assumptions I have about the text mm-hmm. when I approach it. And so um, as we'll see throughout this entire study, Matthew is so detailed. And so I think mm-hmm. um, uncovering some of that detail, even just in the structure of the genealogy, and I uh, was already really confronting my own assumptions I have about what information do I want mm-hmm. <laughs> to be shared versus, like you said, what um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what carefully crafted information um, are these gospel authors presenting. And so yeah. I will say, just to tag along with that, I think uh, similar, maybe not exactly the text, but just Bible study in general, it was such a privilege for uh, women in particular, we have not met just a little mm. bit background as a whole group Bible study in yeah. 18 months. That's crazy. It really is. And so, yeah, it was an, an incredible night just getting to be together and to open God's word. And so uh, just something that 18 months ago, it was something on a to-do list. You sure. know, something we just kind of yes. 
did and because we yeah wanted to do it and love Bible study but there was something that was really that felt like a huge privilege of getting to that in person together so that's awesome I love that for y'all yeah 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 okay so that's kind of what affected us personally the next question is what do we hope um impacted our community um yeah getting to read the Bible together it's meant to shape us and so what are maybe a few things um that we wanted that we hope impacts us as a community yeah one thing I hope is this is more Bible study specific. Sure. After we come out of two Old Testament books, mm. I'm just struck by how much this is a sequel. Yeah. And you cannot make a ton of sense of it without knowing what mm. came before. Sure. And I was especially grateful because when we picked Ruth and Life of Abraham, we did not have Matthew in view. No. But you could not have had a better setup for David and Abraham yeah. as your genealogical yes. anchors. Thanks, God. Yeah, for real. That's it. <laughs> That's some sovereignty right there. And so I was thinking a lot about that. Did you ever take a film class at SMU? I didn't. Okay. There, Antony and I both went to SMU. Pony up. Pony up indeed. We're very avid SMU fans. <laughs> Much genuineness in that statement. And there was this introductory film class and it drove me nuts. I didn't even take it, but just hearing other people. The professor, he would kick off the semester by playing the season finale from season four of Breaking Bad mm. as like an example and I was like, dude, you can't start at the conclusion of season four in a five-season show. Yet he did. Yet he did. And sometimes that's how we read Matthew. Yeah. So there's a piece of this where I'm hopeful for our community that we'll see this as one contiguous story where Jesus is the culmination, the fulfillment of what's going on beforehand. That's more Bible study, like Bible skills related sure. for our community. The other thing I've been thinking about for our community is Jesus's words at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. We're not there yet, but... <laughs> Uh, when he says that anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like one who builds his house on the rock. And the thing that I keep thinking about is we can't just hear these words. We have to do something mm -hmm. or we're not really studying the text in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think going back to our previous question about, you know, not having assumptions about the text or having to really reckon with those. Um, and so, yeah, this week we looked at um, Matthew 1, 1 through 17 actually i think i said 18 earlier That's okay. apologies matthew 1 1 through 17 and so just the genealogy and and mm. um, one thing is that uh you know we everyone comes from a different background when we come to, to come together for bible study yeah and so in particular those women that are highlighted in the genealogy a lot of times there has maybe been stigma placed or sense of shame around some of those women yeah. and so getting to approach that with fresh eyes and really recognize okay these women are placed in a position of honor and um, for a reason and something that is kind of getting into what we weren't able to talk about. Hmm. And, but yeah, as one commentary pointed out, you know, there were other women that could have been highlighted. So yes, we did see Tamar, we saw Rahab, we saw Ruth, we saw um, Bathsheba, not named, but um, mm -hmm. pointed out, we saw Mary. And yet it could have been, you know, we could have seen Sarah, you know, who's yeah. Abraham or Rebecca or Rachel. And so, of course, just in that, I'm just seeing how Gentiles, um, Mary not being Gentile, but seeing the other women who are included and brought in. And so just this beautiful, um, yeah, way of depicting something about the kingdom that we are going to be studying and seeing about what Jesus is bringing through his life, death, and resurrection. And so yeah. um, I do hope that's something two-part. And um, I know I heard it even in small groups during women's Bible study of just getting to see that, maybe see it in different light and um, but also just that there are assumptions that we come to with the text because of our own backgrounds and our own culture um, and so really getting the text to tell us what it wants to say um is a really beautiful part of bible study and i'm hoping that's something that kind of humility and wonder and awe is something that'll continue throughout yeah i love that 
That's good. The the only piece of feedback I heard on my teaching, every single person who gave feedback was around the women in the genealogy. Yeah. And I didn't give it as much attention as I wanted to just for time. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny how you spend like 15 seconds on something (laughs) and it's like, that's what sticks. Yes. And it was the women. Yeah. As it probably should have been. Yes. Yes. Um, Okay. Our last question before we wrap up here is what do we have to cut? Now I will say this is the part that we'll probably spend the most amount of time in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I'll actually start. Yeah. Start. Take it away. I think one thing um, that I was so sad to have to cut, so I uh, was just going through the different names in the genealogy. So, of mm. course, we wanted to really pay attention to why the women in particular would have been there, and so we did that. Still not to as much detail as I would have liked to, but I, if you just look up the names of yeah. the men even that are there, of course, we talked about David and Abraham, um, but even looking at Nishan and Aminadab, all of mm-hmm. those um, were just these really beautiful spotlights of God's sovereignty through the life of people of Israel. And so just really quickly, for example, you know, um, uh, Aminadab is... Um, um, he's mentioned in the book of Ruth, um, but also is featured primarily in the book of Exodus. And so just even thinking about the different time periods that mm-hmm. are represented, just the span of that, I think is really humbling. Um, and just the way it's crafted uh, is just really important to pay attention to. And so I wish I could have, we would have been able to go through some more of those portraits of just kind of these flashpoints of Israel's history. Yeah. And whether it was the wilderness or it was being in the promised land or it was exile or deportation. I mean, those are things that in our community in particular, we don't talk a lot about. Um, and so I really wish we would have and we'll spend more time with that. So that's one thing for me. But totally. Anything on that? Well, no, I, there was a illustration I gave in the teaching that reminds me a lot of that, of reading Matthew feels a lot like reading a book where there's more footnotes on the page than there's actual text. Because <laughs> yeah, it's just like you could spend the entire time digging through all these footnotes. Yes. And I feel like we touched on just a fraction of them. Yeah. Which is hard, especially in the genealogy section. Yes. Yeah. Oh, King Josiah, one of my mm. favorite stories. So <laughs> I would go. actually encourage, I wanted to say this in my, sorry, Max, You're okay. uh, large group teaching, yeah. um, to look those up if you, um, whether it's, yeah, looking back through, if you've spent some time in the Old Testament, really trying to find some of those, or just uh, considering and looking up some of those names and seeing it for, for yourself, just uh, what some of those spotlight stories are. Hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's too, sometimes I think we can get overly intimidated by that. Yes. You, with your Bible, can do more than you probably think, but also there's tons of resources online yes. around this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I know we don't encourage you guys to like go Google answers to your workbook, but if you're trying to just do yeah. a little more research, On there's Nishan, exactly. Nishan, Nishan, King Josiah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of good stuff out there. There's also crazy stuff out there. So if yes. you want to ask a question, <laughs> exactly. yeah. you're definitely welcome to. Yeah, when I think about what I had to cut, there were quite a few things. Mm. If you don't know, we we cut a lot. I cut a lot. I think that generally my teaching start around 50 minutes, and I got down to 36 this time. So I was very oh, proud of myself. Good job, Max. Yes, thank you. Everyone cheer for mm-hmm. me. The one big thing was that the word euangelion or gospel, literally meaning good tidings or good news, mm-hmm. was an existing word mm-hmm. whenever Matthew is writing his gospel. And so one thing that I was sad to not be able to talk about is Matthew's taking an existing category and he's imbuing it with new meaning Mm -hmm. as he talks about it in relation to the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there's two ways that he's doing that. One is that he's taking what would have been a colloquial phrase in the everyday Roman life. Mm -hmm. So good tidings could have been that you won a battle. 
or that a king was born. Mm -hmm. It has like a political, socio-political connotation to it. And Jesus is good news, but his good news is that he upturns all of these political realities. So that's one piece of how he's redefining it. But the other piece comes from the Septuagint. Mm. Did you know we were going there today, Antony? I didn't. Yeah. What's a Septuagint, Max? Mm, There it is, the setup. (laughs) So I was like talking to Hannah, my wife, about this, and she was like, you don't need to ever say Septuagint in your teaching, but you can say it in the podcast. Mm, here That's we good. are. Here we go, podcast. <laughs> yes. um, so the Septuagint is what we call the Greek translation or translations of the Old Testament. So if you're thinking about your Bible overview timeline thing that was on page seven of your workbook, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, after they came back from exile, they were largely speaking Aramaic at that point in time. And then you fast forward a little bit in their history, and they're primarily speaking Greek as they're conquered by Greece and then Rome. And so they, around 170 BC, commissioned a new translation of their Old Testament called the Septuagint. And the reason I think it's important is because there are places in the Hebrew Old Testament, we're translating into the Greek Old Testament, they take certain motifs and they call them euangelion Mm. or gospel, good news. So like we especially see this in Isaiah's prophetic writings Mm. when he's talking about the coming Messiah, he talks about the good news, the gospel associated with that. And I just think it's cool to see the presence of the gospel over 170 years before Jesus's birth because of the translation of this. And Matthew's drawing on that Septuagint tradition as he's writing. Great. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really, yeah, really interesting. I think helpful for us. And again, should inspire awe of just God's word um, and the layers to it. So yeah, there's layers lots to there. it. So, well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Can um, I say one more listening. thing? Yes. Sorry. We you didn't can. talk about it. Okay. Uh, Surprises are my favorite thing. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay. Uh, I was, the other thing we didn't touch at all. Oh, okay. Was counting the 14 generations. Oh, we did it. Yeah. Okay. Did you guys talk about that in your teaching? We did briefly. Okay. Uh, essentially, I, yeah, towards the end, I said, hey, there's a few different ways to think about this. Yeah. Um, and then landed with, you know, there's sometimes when we're teaching and we say, here, here is the specific meaning that we must take away. Yeah. And then sometimes we'll say, hey, here's some uh, options and some faithful ways to think about this. Sure. Um, but just landed with Jesus. That's that in a world full of bad news, this is really good news. Mm. So that's kind of how in Mormon's Bible study we, we talked about it a little bit. Totally. But yes, that is fascinating. Yeah. Sorry, we didn't no, talk about that. No, that's okay. Yeah. I just wanted to mention it because I chose to not even talk about it oh. in the men's because... Okay. I feel like once you tell people that the last block actually is 13 names, because yes. Jeconiah is counted twice, yes. once in the David block, once in the Jeconiah block, mm-hmm. I feel like once you introduce that, guys start counting all 14, and sure. they stop listening to what's going on. Okay. So I was like, I'm just going to keep their attention and okay. mention Great. This. Well, then we should definitely talk about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you want to explain it? Sure. So in verse 17, um, there's a summary statement, essentially, of the genealogy. It talks about the 14 generations from Abraham to David, David to the deportation to Babylon, which I think we can do this here. I looked Mm. up the deportation to Babylon. Mm. Y'all, it was on my birthday, March 16th. I mean, like thousands of years ago. Rest in peace. Yeah, that was a tough tough thing Mm. to receive. Um, So deport to Babylon and Babylon to deportation to Jesus Christ. Mm. And so... 
And it says that there's 14 generations represented in between each one, which is important mm -hmm. for a few reasons. The first being that they are not literal, like yes. father, son, right, generations. Not every parent-child relationship it, is chronicled. Yes, it's yeah. represented. Uh, and the other important piece, though, is that in the last one, like Max already mentioned, that if you count them and Jeconiah is represented, essentially, you have to be careful about how you count. Yes. <laughs> um, uh -huh. But there's 13 names um, in that yeah. last block. And so the question is, what do you do with that? Is that yeah. intentional? We know this is a highly stylized account. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we want to, you know, kind of uh, honor that, but also not totally. overdo it. So that's kind of the, yep. the tension I think that we're, we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anything else on that? No, I mean, I think you said it well. It is highly stylized. And I think that is a helpful thing to remember because if you have a very low view of the Gospels as literature or Matthew as an author, I think you can go, this guy was an idiot. He didn't even know how to count to 14. Sure. It's like, that's not what's happening here. Right. Matthew did not get away from this, and no one in his audience noticed, like, hey, Matthew, you missed one here. Mm -hmm. So he's making a decision. It's just a question of what is the significance of the decision he's right. making. Yeah. So I'm personally inclined to think, after reading one of our commentaries, R.T. France, he's kind of like, Listen, people get too weird about numbers. Sure. And numbers, they have significance. His big thing was with Matthew, he's very clearly already not chronicling every parent-child relationship. Sure. So the fact that he's using Jeconiah twice to hit 14, in his mind he was saying he just wants to hit 14 both times and he's using one name twice so that mm. he gets to 14 in both places. Hmm. His So like in his mind, he did hit 14 sure. in everything and he doesn't really care that Jeconiah is used twice. Yeah. But I know not everybody feels that way. Sure, yeah, because yeah, he looks to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a really helpful way to say that. Something too might be helpful to back up, especially if, and we didn't talk about them in Men's Bible Study this mm. week, is just that the reason why 14 is important. Yeah. So We did talk about sevens. Oh, you did? Okay, Yes, great. I just didn't mention yes. the 14s. Uh -huh. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah, so uh, for the reason why maybe the, the that if it is 13, yep. there's a few views. One um, is that if you take it as not three fourteens, but mm -hmm. stay with me here, six sevens, yep. and that Jesus is represented as that seventh seven, if you will, and so 49 translating to the Jubilee year, yep. and Jubilee being um, this very built out idea in the Jewish imagination of freedom mm -hmm. and restoration and peace, and even that corresponding to Isaiah. And yeah. Can I just sure, throw onto that, like Luke, as he presents Jesus's ministry, the mm -hmm. very first thing Jesus does is his public ministry. Yeah. So he reads the scroll of Isaiah corresponding to the Jubilee year, yes. saying it is now fulfilled in your presence. Yes. Yeah. So lots of, lots of layers there. Mm -hmm. And so that's one view that I think is really beautiful and insightful. Yep. Another one is that, um, if these are essentially, there's for, like the fathers are represented, if you will, mm -hmm. and again, not every single parent-child relationship yes. is represented, but the fathers of the of the Jewish people. Yes, that by not representing the fourteenth father, if you will, that there is some space to see that. Oh, like who is the fourteenth father guiding all of this? It is yes. God the Father. Yep. And so, a way to point out and to really see again stylistically, um, yeah, Jesus got the Son, and just that that idea. Uh, or there's a kind of cutting probably through both of those, but just that again to underscore it. But a third idea is if we stick with the 14s, <laughs> is mm -hmm. that Jesus is kind of the, the fulfillment. So if yes. the number, uh, so so many you know numbers three, seven, ten, fourteen, those are all numbers communicating wholeness. Yes. Um, and so if Jesus is essentially the 14th, then he is he's like the all that essentially like this again stylistically representing that Jesus is fulfilling. Um, yeah, fulfilling 
all that has mm-hmm. been pointed to. So, well, yeah, does that make... Oh, it totally makes sense. I, one other thing that I've heard presented is there's meant to be a lingering question. Yes. Because yeah. we get all the way to the Great Commission, mm. and the, then Jesus commissions out his disciples as this new family of faith. Yes. And so they become the final generation. Sure. I think it's really provocative when we think about the fact that Matthew wrote this document in advance of his death mm-hmm. so that future generations would know how to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's telling to think he in his mind through the whole thing is what does it mean to follow after these people have already come and gone? Yeah, yeah. and I do think there's something there which might take longer to tease out, but mm. like adventure, yeah. um, which is just that to your point about the the church being the new family and yeah. so seeing just the parallel, you know, of Jesus and the, the church being Christ's bride and so that there's something there that as we talked about, um, about, you know, that uh, the new creation is here. Yes. And that the book of the genealogy of, it's a book of beginnings. Mm-hmm. And so seeing, hey, there's a new creation coming and, and lots of parallels to Genesis and, you know. Yes. Anyways, and so just that there's that idea as well that could be could be there under the surface. Yes. So many things under the surface. <laughs> Total. I mean, it really is. It, this is the footnote part. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I just wanted to touch yeah. on that. Will you talk since we're here? We talked mm. a little bit about... Leviticus. <laughs> no, not Leviticus. I guess wrong. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, we talk a little bit. You mentioned, you know, Matthew is writing, you know, this. And so yeah. we talk, uh, and particularly, it, it, he's going to have to share this information, right? Yes. Like oral. So just that that kind of idea. Yeah. I'm getting at. Okay. Totally. <laughs> I do. So this comes from, there's a scholar named Richard Bauckham. And Richard Bauckham did a lot of work on Gospels as eyewitness testimony. But some of the interesting stuff he did, he just went and lived in the Middle East while he was doing his work. And he saw how they preserved traditions as an oral culture. And he goes mm-hmm. through three different methods of preserving oral traditions. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the the titles he gives okay. each one of these three methods. I put him on the spot, by the way. But, oh, yeah. that's totally fine. It's it's like a formal, uh, formal private Formal, public, and informal public Mm. are the methods of passing things down. So formal private would be like a rabbinic school. I'm a rabbi. I select a student. Under my tutelage, they learn these things. Mm -hmm. Informal public would be like my private family, Mm -hmm. but still a family setting, gathered around the dinner table, and we're telling stories about what's gone on here. Mm -hmm. And then there is the informal public Mm -hmm. setting. I'm sorry, formal public. Great. Formal public, middle ground. This would be like if you have your whole village together and they call out somebody and they're like, Antonia, tell us the story of how you got accepted SMU. Oh. And she tells this story for everybody. But mm-hmm. in a communal identity or in a communal space, uh, these stories often are shared among people and they have like specific parts where they have to accord to exact wordings. Mm-hmm. So the thing that he calls out is like he saw situations where crowds would basically start booing the storyteller because they're not telling it correctly. It's like, no, 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 that's not how the story goes. That's not the wording here. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how different forms of literature, they expected different degrees of preciseness. Mm -hmm. So like in a parable, you can kind of mix up some of the details at the beginning, but the moral of the parable has to be the same every time. So this is a very roundabout way of me answering Antonia's question (laughs) of just like putting out the different 
ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. for how a gospel account would have been handed down, it's very likely that Matthew in the early church is somewhere on the formal private and mm-hmm. formal public end of the spectrum. He probably has direct disciples, people where he is telling them this is the exact account, you need to keep it these words, and he's overseeing in the church community this public reading of his gospel that would be worked on over time that he eventually inscripturates, writes down as he nears the end of his life. Mm -hmm. Am I answering what you're asking That's exactly, yeah. I think we just mentioned that briefly and that's a really, yeah, I think helpful thing to know about. And And it would have, this is where you get into a bunch of historical stuff we don't tend to think about. Like it would have been really expensive and difficult to write down a gospel account. Sure. And so it's not something you just like randomly do. Right. And further than that, it would have been viewed as kind of an insult or a slight if Matthew was still living and you preferred to consult a written document mm. rather than the guy himself. Interesting. So while he's yeah. still alive, there's not really an urgency to write down this message. But mm. again, as he approaches end of life, as he wants this to be recorded as a formal thing that can be passed down generation to generation, he's looking to record this, which would have meant probably working alongside scribes. He probably would have had two copies, one that was made for production and for moving around the Roman Empire and another that stayed privately with him that would have been read in his own community. And that would have allowed him to check other copies against his original copy. So yeah, lots of really interesting historical tidbits in there. Yeah, so good. And just to say that, you know, that as we grow as Bible students, that sometimes, you know, we yeah, my approach to talks like that or historical information that might be uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. so just that's you, you're hearing that, and you're like, whoa, that is a lot of information. Yeah. And um, so we would love to talk to you about that and that we are all growing together. True. So that's yeah. one of the gifts of getting to do in this community mm-hmm. um, is that we get to talk about things and get to continue to learn and grow and yeah, all of that. So just wanted to say that, that that was really, really helpful, Max. Thank you for Great. Me, putting yeah. you on the spot with that. No, I love it. Yeah. Well, guys, we are so grateful um, that you would listen to this and that we get to, yeah, this said grow as Bible students together in the local church Um, and so we'll keep doing these and uh, trust that they will be helpful as we get to journey through the gospel and Matthew together love you guys and we'll see you next time bye